Well, if you're a parent, it has probably already started. That eternal conversation with your children, is it Christmas yet? Well, when's Christmas coming? How many more sleeps before Christmas gets here? Is Christmas here yet? Are we going to our grandparents? Will Santa know that I'm at another house? On and on, the, the, the conversations go on and on. Is Christmas coming? Is Christmas here? When will Christmas be here? How much longer until Christmas comes? This is the Advent season. The time when the church stops and says, Christmas is coming. And we prepare. But we begin our preparation by asking a very different question. While the rest of the world wants to know, has Christmas come yet? On this first Sunday in Advent, we're asking, where's Christmas going? Not, has Christmas come? But where is Christmas going? John tells us in his beautiful book of the Revelation. Stand with me in honor of God's word. And after this I looked, and there in heaven was an open door. The first voice that I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and there was a throne in heaven, and someone was seated on it. The one seated there had the appearance of jasper and cornelia stone, a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald surrounded the throne. And around the throne were 24, throne, were 24 thrones, and the thrones sat 24 elders, dressed in white clothes, golden crowns on their heads. Flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder came from the throne. Seven fiery torches were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Something like a sea of glass, similar to crystal, was also before the throne. Four living creatures covered with eyes in front and in back were around the throne on each side. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature was like an ox. The third living creature had the face of a man, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. And each of the four living creatures had six wings. They covered their eyes around, and they were covered with eyes around and inside. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, 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 Lord God the Almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come. And whenever the living creatures began to give glory and honor, and thanks to the one seated on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever. The 24 elders fall down before the one seated on the throne and worship the one who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne and say, O Lord God, you are worthy to receive glory, honor, and power because you have created all things and by your will they exist and they were created. O Lord God, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power because you have created all things and by your will they exist and were created. This is God's word for God's people. Hear it, believe it, and live. Let's pray together.
May we join all of the living creatures and all of the elders who bow before you and shout glory and honor and power to the one who is worthy. And we pray this in your name. Amen. I grew up in the 1960s and 70s when the book of Revelation was a very hot topic. It seems every week there was a new book released on the book of Revelation and what it meant for our time. We have an Antichrist of the week. And because this person had, seen, had been seen standing somewhere next to a sign that said 666-something, they would declare the Antichrist and we began to panic. We had drills on what to look for and what it meant when the, common, when the European common market added this nation or added that nation. We were experts in what experts said about the book of Revelation. What we never did was actually read the book of Revelation. But we read all the books about it. Ah, uh, but when you read this book, when you just sit down and remember that this book was written by a pastor, a pastor of churches in the Ephesus area, a pastor who had now become a bishop, probably of the seven churches that are mentioned, a pastor who was both so popular and so powerful that Rome didn't know what to do with him. If he had been powerful but not popular, Rome would have executed him. If he had been popular without being powerful, Rome would have ignored him. But he was powerful and he was popular and Rome didn't know what to do with him. Oh, make no mistake, they had killed other leaders of the Christian church. By this time, both Paul and Peter have been executed. John, probably by this time, is the only living, only living member of the original 12 disciples. Living in the area of Ephesus, he pastored that church, pastored the churches that he mentioned. Not knowing what to do with him, they think they will punish John the worst way that you can punish a preacher. And that is take him away from his congregation. Put him in the middle of nowhere where there's nobody there. Where even if he preaches, nobody will hear. Even if he has a revelation, there won't be anyone to share it with. Jesus promised if there was two or three, he would be there with us. But what, if you do, what do you do when you're by yourself? John tells us it was the Lord's day. And John showed up for church all by himself. It was the Lord's day, so he went to church. He's on the Isle of Patmos. It's a rock in the middle of the Aegean Sea. There's barely room for John. But he goes to church. I wonder if he was on time. 
Did he sing? Did he quote scripture from memory? How did, how did that church service work? We don't know how it started. We know what happened as it began. John tells us that immediately he was caught up in the spirit of the Lord and his worship took on another dimension. And in the first three chapters of Revelation, he talks to the seven churches. You know them, Thyatira, Philadelphia, Pergamon, Sardis, Smyrna, Ephesus, on and on the list goes. All of these churches have forgotten something. Uh, they have forgotten their first love. They have forgotten how to love in the first place. They, are, uh, they have forgotten true teaching, and now they're tolerating the false teachers among them who are uh, causing great division and great harm. And all of these churches are addressed by the Lord, given something they must do, and the threat of what will happen if they don't. Oh, make no mistake, it wasn't an accident that there were seven churches. Seven is an important number in the book of Revelation. This is not only to those seven churches that are surrounding the city of Ephesus. This is about all the churches of all the time, of all history. And sooner or later, all every church walks through this part, and you're one of the seven churches. In any given part of a church's history, you'll be able to say, this is who we are right now. This is what we're dealing with right now. In fact, you can mark your own journey, your own life, by finding your place in one of these seven churches. This is who I am. This is what I'm dealing with right now. This is the word of the Lord to every church in every time and every place. This is the word of the Lord to every believer in every time and every place. And then the sermon to the churches ends. Now what? Right? You're there, you're having this letter read to you, you're having this revelation shared with you. John is telling you what he's experienced and what the word from the Lord that he's heard, and he shared that with us. And we have had seven of these sermons. Not only have we had every church addressed, we've had every sermon preached. Seven. Oh, but we're just getting started. Because there is a future. You know, it's one thing to show up and to tell somebody what's going on in their life. It's one thing to show up and say, hey, this is what you're dealing with. This is the mess you're having to face. This is what's going on. And to leave that person in their distress. I tell you all the time, sympathy is overrated. Right? You're feeling bad. You're going through a hard time. And a friend shows up and says, I know how you feel. Sympathetic. Doesn't help. Now we got two people feeling bad. I need something else. Sympathy's overrated. We don't need somebody going, here is your problem, here is your diagnosis. The seven churches in Revelation needed something more. John needed something more. 
And so the Spirit comes to John and says, step up, and I'll show you what must happen. What must happen. Not that we hope will happen. Not that we think will happen. This is what must happen. Why does it have to happen? Because it is defined by the ultimate reality in chapter 4. John looks up, and there he sees the throne, the reality that defines every reality, the ultimate statement on everything that has meaning. And he sees the throne of heaven and all of the regalia that surrounds it. And who is it that is on the throne? It's not Caesar. It's not Caesar. Now understand, these seven churches walk by statues every day of Caesar proclaiming to be God. The early Christians were accused of being atheist. Did you know that? Atheism was the charge. Why? Because we did not believe that Caesar was God. We would not say Caesar is Lord. The Christian profession of faith is Jesus is Lord. For that we were accused of being atheist. They went by the statues. They heard the threats. If you do not bow down and proclaim that Caesar is Lord, we will take your property. We will throw you in prison. We will kill you. And these weren't empty threats. They had happened. And now John steps up, sees the throne, leans back over his shoulder to the churches behind him and going, hey, it's not Caesar. It's Jesus. The one crucified is now the one who reigns. The one raised from the dead is now the one who is worthy of all honor and praise. It's not Caesar. It's Jesus. And the whole world worships. This throne is the vortex that pulls all of history to it. And from this vortex pushes all of the future from it pulls all of history to it, pushes all the future from it. Four creatures representing all of creation hover around the throne, sharing the praise. All of creation gives its praise to the one who created it. Covered with eyes, the Spirit of God misses nothing sees everything, knows everything, and the whole world is there. There are 24 elders. There are 12 tribes of Israel. All of Israel is there. The Father keeps his promise to Abraham. 
12 disciples are there. The Gentile world is there. Remember, Abraham was promised, I'll build a new people. Your people will be my people. The 12 tribes are there. Remember, he promised Abraham, through you and your descendants, the entire world will be blessed ultimately and supremely in the person of Jesus Christ and the 12 disciples, the rest of the Gentile world is there. 24 elders, 12 tribes of Israel, 12 disciples, the entire world bows down. And when they hear the worship begin, they take their crowns off and they toss them at the feet of Jesus. That was what conquered kings did. If the king had overrun your country, had captured you, there was a big ceremony where you would come and you would take your crown off and you would kneel before the conquering king and you would place your crown on his feet. It was an act of ultimate humiliation. But here is an act of ultimate worship. For a couple of things happen when you take your crown off. One, you remember the moment when Jesus took his crown off. When he walked as a man, lived in our world, ate our food, felt our fatigue, understood our anger and anguish, and died for our sins. And because of this, Paul writes, Christ was given a name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So understand, this Christmas is more than about a baby being born. I often tell you that I know the reason God sent Jesus as a baby because when you hold a baby, the first thing that everybody wants to do is lean in and look. Oh, let me see. Let me see. Let me look. And so here Mary, on behalf of the whole world, holds his baby Jesus, and the whole world wants to look and see. But make no mistake who you're looking at and who's looking back at you. This isn't gentle Jesus, meek and mild. This is Jesus on the throne, giver of life, conqueror of death, destroyer of darkness. This is God telling you and me that he has not given up. Jesus is God claiming his stake on the world. This world belongs to him. You belong to him, and Jesus has come for you. It's not so much when Christmas gets here. It's a celebration of where Christmas is going, and it's going to that throne. And now, like those 24 elders, you have heard the worship. 
and that crown you hold in your hand, it's his. It's not yours. It belongs to him. And all of the elders bowed down and cast their crowns at the feet of Jesus. It's not a matter of when Christmas is coming. It's a matter of where Christmas is going. God has come to tell you he hasn't given up, he hasn't relinquished any claim you belong to him. And the crown in your hand, it's his too. Let's pray together. If your head's bowed and your eyes closed, I don't want to do anything to embarrass you or But let's be honest. Our world lies to us, and there's never a time when there are more lies told by our world to us and to our families than now during Christmas. If you only buy this, if you only get that, then you will be happy. We should know better by now. There's nothing that the world can offer us that can satisfy. There's nothing that the world can give to us that will give us meaning and purpose. That only comes from the person of Jesus Christ, this one whose birth we celebrate, whose future we anticipate. And we want to be part of that worship service right now. So for some of you, it's a time of refocus. In this tug of war of life, you gave your crown to Christ some time ago, but in recent moments, you've taken it back. Now's the time to say, no, this doesn't belong to me. It belongs to you. And give it back to Jesus. It's a time for some of you to make that first decision to say, you know, I can't do my life by myself. I want to know more about who Jesus is and about what he's done. That's why our ministers are already back there waiting on you. There's a big sign that says, next step. They want to continue this conversation. They want to pick it up right where I'm leaving off because I'm trying to say too much in too few words. They want to answer your questions, want to pray with you so you'll know Jesus Christ is your King, your Lord today. I beg you, do not go home with that question unanswered. Perhaps it's to come be part of our church fellowship. Whatever it is, the Lord is waiting for you where you are. The church will wait for you as you come. Lord Jesus, every life is now open, every heart. So we pray that the choices we make now are exactly what you want.